Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning again. And um, Dennis, thank you for the reminder of Sweet Martha's Cookies. Now I'm hungry. So I blame you. Um, but thank you, worship team, as well, for leading us in worship. Maybe I should have started with that instead of blaming Dennis for uh, making me hungry. But thank you, worship team. We appreciate that. And thank you for joining us. I know it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, there are a lot of places we could be. I am glad we are here together in the house of the Lord. And I thank you for joining us this morning. And if you've been with us at all this summer, uh, you know we've been in this series in the book of Psalms called Israel's Playlist. And we are wrapping it up this morning with Psalm 23. You know, maybe I saved the best for last, but we are wrapping it up. For some of you, that's a sigh of relief that we are wrapping it up. For others of you, I hope this has been a time that you've enjoyed spending in a part of God's Word, maybe that uh, doesn't get as much focus as some other parts. So, but either way, we are, we are done. We're moving on. Uh, starting next week, we'll be in a series called Capital Letters that I thought it might be wise to just take a little time and explain. There was some confusion. I'll get into it a little more next week. But we're looking at some of the significant words in, in God's Word, significant teachings around topics like who God is and what is worship and what is God's truth. And so looking at those capital letter words is kind of where we're going to be going for the first few weeks in the fall. So love to have you come back and join us starting next week for that. But we are in Psalm 23. And, and like I said, this is a common psalm. It's a well-known psalm. For some of you, this is maybe, again, saving the best for last. But it is one that is well-known and rightly so. We, we hear it a lot at funerals, we hear it when people are sick and in the hospital. It's been a psalm of comfort for a lot of people. And, and again, it is one of the most well-known ones. And so I thought it would be appropriate to kind of start a little different this morning. And so we're going we're gonna to read Psalm 23 together, but we're going to do it responsively. And so the words will be on the screen. I will read the leader part. You will therefore read the congregation part. And we will read Psalm 23 together as we start. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. So we're going to engage this morning with this psalm. And for some of you, this is a psalm that has been a psalm of comfort. But I would encourage you as we look at it this morning to read it anew, read it fresh. Sometimes these things that we know so well, and I bet, in fact, uh, Sharon and I we were talking a couple of weeks ago about this message and uh, thought about briefly seeing if anybody was willing to come up here and try and recite it from memory. But I bet there are some people in this room who could do that, who could stand up here and go through all of Psalm 23 from memory. But with anything that we get so comfortable with, sometimes it can become just a thing where the comfort is derived not from the words that are spoken, but just from the mere act of doing it. 
And so we always need to guard against that idea of, of something becoming so rote that, that it loses its significance. And so I would encourage you this morning as we go through it to listen anew to these words and maybe try and see what is God saying to you this morning from this psalm that might be so well known. But I think when we read through it, we're going to see David, our, our author of Psalm 23, I think is going to give us three different images Right? Three different images of, of who God is in this psalm that we can take away. That we can look at and read and go, here's a picture that I have of who God is. Here's a picture that helps me understand. Because God, as we talked last week, God is so big and so grand that no human analogy really encompasses who he is. And so we're going to take all three of these and kind of put them together to hopefully get another perspective on who God is. And our first image, the first image that I think David gives us is this image of rest. This image of rest. And, and as we already read, the psalm starts with this imagery of a shepherd. Uh, and, and maybe a shepherd imagery is a little less well known to us today than it was back then. But shepherding as an image was very common. Uh, it's something that they understood intimately. It's something that the common people, even if you lived in town, you relied on shepherds to provide the wool for your clothing and the meat for your meals. And so this image would have been a lot more common than it is today. And I think for us, as we hear, especially in Psalm 23, this imagery, we get this image, this very pastoral, agrarian image of comfort and peace. And I can tell you that hanging out on a farm a few times, they're not always comfortable and peaceful locations. If you've been around enough farm animals, you know that, that farm animals can be loud and messy. And as Dennis referenced the state fair, if you want to get a picture of what sheep are, maybe go hang out in the sheep barn a little bit and, may, and let that correct your image of maybe what a shepherd really is. But we still get this image here of rest. And I'm going to read again the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And I would encourage us to consider that for David, this shepherding analogy is more than pastoral. It is also royal. Remember that David is our shepherd king. And he's going to build this analogy that we see in Jesus, who is also a shepherd king, which is not a common dual profession. But David has it, and I think he's building that for us to see God in that same light, that this is not just pastoral, it is also royal. And as it describes God, there's this royalty, and we're going to see that in other places in Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 34 lays this out very clearly, and then Jesus himself will reference it multiple times. And so I'm going to kind of interlay some passages from Ezekiel and some words of Jesus so that hopefully you can see the, the building together of the pastoral shepherd and the royal shepherd. Ezekiel 34 verse 2, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And so here we see in Ezekiel this shepherding analogy applied to the leaders. The assumption is if you are king, if you are leader, the assumption is you are shepherding your flock, your people. You are caring for those under you. And Ezekiel is pointing out that they're not. And Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 4, of the leaders of Israel at the time, the teachers and the Pharisees. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. They still have authority, Jesus is saying. They still have that God-given authority. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And so there's this criticism from Jesus on the current shepherd kings of Israel saying, hey, you Pharisees, you teachers, you leaders, you're, you're, you're piling on for the people and you're not helping them. You're not lifting them up. Again, back to Ezekiel 34, verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Again, directed at the human leaders of Israel. And as a counterpoint, I would turn you to Luke 15, where Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin. And he tells the parable of the lost sheep. And he tells the parable of the lost sons, sometimes called the prodigal son. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. We get a different image in Jesus. Last one from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, verses 12 to 13. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land." And here's the promise that that as we look to these human shepherds and they fail, we turn instead to Jesus. And Jesus says, I will shepherd you. I will pasture you. And in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus tells them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. He's talking to his disciples. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But out of that, and he is quoting Ezekiel 34, but out of that we see, as our song just sang, the church of Christ is born. That they were scattered temporarily, but Jesus was building a new flock and he was pulling them back together again. And so we see this image of the, of the, the shepherd king is applied to Jesus as well. And we can take from Psalm 23 and we can look forward and see in Jesus the perfect fulfillment of what that looks like. So where do we take this today? What is our takeaway today? Is it just that Jesus fulfills Psalm 23? No. We can see in this the idea that with God as our shepherd, we have everything we need. And look at the psalm. It says in there what God provides. He makes me lie down in green pastures. For a sheep, that is food. To to fully consume their food, a sheep needs to be able to lie down and chew the cud. It needs time to process the food. So this is more than just providing the food. It's providing the ability to take in that sustenance. You lead me beside quiet waters. Quiet waters are needed for a sheep to drink. Right? He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. Why? For his name's sake. All of this, all of this pastoral care, this kingly shepherding is for his name. And so we look to God for rest, not not assuming that we'll have rest like the American dream promises rest. This idea that someday we'll have so much that we can sit back and do nothing and that's rest. That is not the promise here. The promise is food and drink and presence of God. 
And this is where Jesus would remind us in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes that rest comes in the midst of uncertainty, that desire for more. Oftentimes we would like more. I would like a newer car that's more reliable. I would like a better phone that looks more like my neighbor's. I would like these other things, but God promises us enough, not surplus. But yet in that, we are called to rest. Give us this day our daily bread, and let me trust you, God, for that. And I think it goes without saying, based on where the psalm is heading, that David's reminder that we have all we need also looks forward to the dark valley that might be coming. That there might come a time where all we need really doesn't include our daily bread. That there are times where people in our world go hungry. There are times where people in our world go thirsty. And we would not say that they do not have all they need because they still have their shepherd. And that's a hard thing to to wrestle with, especially if you're in that moment. How do we find rest when we feel like we are lacking what we need? And our psalm encourages us and Jesus encourages us that if we have Christ, we truly do have all that we need. And we can continue to pray for our daily bread going, God, I am hurting. I am lacking right now, but I also can rest in the storm because I know I am with you. And so we look forward in our psalm to the next spot. We look forward to that dark valley knowing that if we have our shepherd, we have all that we need. And our next image that I think our shepherd king gives us is this image of restoration, which again is an odd odd image, I think, going into a dark valley. And we know the next part. It leads us into darkness, chaos, brokenness. And this is the part of the, the psalm that is so comforting to so many. Because we've all walked through those valleys. And like every Israelite whom he represents, the king is also a dependent subject, dependent on his Lord. So even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so what are the dark valleys that you are going through? And we prayed about some of them this morning. I know there are people in this room who are going through a dark valley right now. And there are some dark valleys that weren't prayed for this morning that some of you might be wandering through. Or maybe you just look ahead and you see one potentially coming. There are times where we know something is off and we can tell that we're about to head into a dark valley. And how do you know that God is with me? How do we pursue that restoration in relationship with God, that desire to have that comfort, that rest, despite the chaos. And it's interesting because our shepherd gives us two images inside this image. How do we find that restoration? And it's the rod and the staff. And the rod and the staff are, in my mind, an interesting image because, again, if we're in a dark valley, a rod and a staff are two distinct tools. And I understand the rod one, and I struggle with the staff, and let me explain why. Both tools would have been known to David. The rod was used primarily in defense of the sheep. This is aimed externally at those who would threaten the sheep. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35, we read this story of David. And this is David talking to Saul as he's about to face Goliath. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. 
When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. And so David would know the defense of a rod. When he talks about grabbing it by the hair and striking it, that's not how you use a sling. He's about to use a sling. He knows how to use a sling. But if you sling a stone, you might hit the sheep. So he talks about grabbing it by the hair. That's, that's close enough to use the rod. The rod is a defensive weapon. And I get the comfort that brings because sometimes when we're going into a dark valley, we want to know that God is walking in armed with us. There's a comfort to that. You know, as we pray, as we talk about praying for healing and seeing God heal people, we know God carries with him the ability to bring healing and restoration and justice. And there's comfort in that, and there should be. And there are times where our shepherd king will wield that rod. But don't miss the other word, the staff. Because David would also be well acquainted with his staff. And just a few verses later in 1 Samuel 17, we read this, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. And, and I share that he doesn't use the staff there, but we see he has it. He is well acquainted with it. He carries it with him. It's, it's, it's important enough to him that when he goes against the Philistine, he carries it. And for a shepherd of the time, a staff served multiple purposes, one of which was a leaning post. There's a lot of time as a shepherd, you stand and watch. You watch the sheep and you stand. And I get lazy. I'm sure David did too. You want something to lean against. The staff would serve that purpose, but the staff was the one with the hook on the end. It served another purpose as well. And that was to redirect the sheep. That hook was used to grab them and pull them back. And sometimes that redirection of the staff is gentle. Other times that redirection could be painful. If you are a wayward sheep that ignores the nudges, that staff can become harder and harder and harder until you finally give in and acknowledge that you are not the shepherd as you get pulled or yanked back. And so where the rod is focused externally, the staff is internal. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. Sometimes the dark valleys we walk through are because of our own mistakes, our own consequences to our sin, and the staff is still there. David, in his approach to, with Goliath, brings his staff. And so we need to remember that the, the, our shepherd king carries his staff with us as well. And there are times where that gentle nudge we need to listen to, and there are times where we've ignored it, and that gentle nudge has become painful. And we have the opportunity to respond in repentance and seek that restoration. But in here, our second image in this one of restoration, our, second, our, our passage goes on in this idea of restoration we engage with this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Our image of restoration doesn't stop with the rod and the staff. It moves on to this idea of true restoration in a banquet. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And um, 
I would argue, and I think several other theologians would agree, that the idea of a banquet in the face of my enemies is less about gloating and more about restoration. More about the ability to either somebody uh, being on the other side of the banquet table with me because we have found restoration. I have responded to the, to the staff. They have responded to the rod. And we were able to come back together and sit at a banquet table. Or at the very least, they might still be enemies of God. But I can sit and know that I am right with God. And desiring that restoration for them as well. Not about gloating. Not about eating in front of somebody like, like some sort of uh, person eating a meal in front of somebody who's hungry. We shouldn't have that image. It's the idea that at the very least, the restoration is between me and God, even if I can't find restoration with that person. But you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, which speaks of healing, and my cup overflows, which speaks of bounty. This psalm should remind us of our ability to find restoration. And the fact that we can find this peace and restoration in the face of our enemies should be a reminder of comfort to us that God is with us. And in that, we remember that if God is for us, who can be against us, as Paul says. So wherever you are in your walk, seek that restoration. Maybe your restoration is you have felt the gentle nudgings of the staff and you need to find restoration with God. Or maybe you have been willing God's rod on somebody else and you need to pursue restoration with them. And trust God to use the rod and the staff correctly. And that our goal is to be reconcilers. We have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will seek restoration with my God and with the people who I am with. We seek restoration. So our first image is one of rest. Our second one is an image of restoration. And our last one this morning is an image of trust. And trust is a big deal. And so I've set up over here what I think is a helpful illustration that I can't claim credit for. I saw this elsewhere first. But, but it's this idea of trust. And so we have this bowl, and this bowl is trust. And we gain a little trust with people every time we do things that are trustworthy. We put a little trust in the bowl. And we keep doing these things that build up and build up, and it takes a long time to keep building up our trust. And we build that trust, and we build that trust, and we build that trust. But what's Important to remember with trust is it takes a while to fill up, but it's really easy to spill. And now it's gone. And it's going to take a lot longer to rebuild that trust than it did the first time. And we just forget how easy trust is to build, or how hard trust is to build, excuse me, and how easy it is to lose. And we are broken and fallible people and we have all experienced this. Where we have been the one who we, somebody has been building trust and building trust and building trust and in one motion destroyed it all. But I think we've also been on the other side where we are that person who through one mistake, one error, have dumped out years of work. And before you get too concerned about this, I do have a vacuum over here. So I was planning on cleaning it up. I know there are some people in this room who might not be able to hear the rest of the message if I don't address that. 
So I want to get, thank you, Debbie. Yeah, she raised her hand. But the focus in our passage is our, on trust is not on us, it is on God. But I want us to keep this image in our mind as we read. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because we can trust God is what our passage is saying. Unlike humans, God doesn't dump out his trust with us. There are times we think he has. There are times where we feel let down because what we wanted God to do is not what God did, but God does not dump out his trust. That's on us. That's our perception. And and our verse talks about this. And it gives us two words. It talks about goodness and love. And we've we've talked about them before, but I I think they bear repeating because I think this is something we need to ingrain in our hearts. This goodness and love. And, and I talked about this with Psalm 121, goodness specifically, and it comes from uh, the Hebrew word tov. And maybe you're sick of me talking about this, but it's so, so important, I think, in Scripture and to us to talk about God's use of goodness, because God's use of goodness does not talk about culture's way of goodness, the good life, the white picket fence, the two and a half kids, the early retirement. That's not God's definition of goodness, that's ours. God's tov definition is different. When Moses asks to see God's glory, God shows him his goodness. Exodus 33, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And goodness, tov, is our goal. What is our goal? Our goal is someday to stand before God and hear him say, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. Our goal is to emulate God's goodness in this earth. And so here in the psalm, it says, surely your goodness, which is your glory, will follow me. And our passage reminds us that God pursues us with his goodness, his tovness. And it follows us all the days of our lives. And we do not deserve the goodness of God, but we get it anyway because God pursues us with that, with his goodness. Because trusting God requires us to understand that goodness does not always mean comfort. If we are going to trust God in the dark valley, sometimes we need to remind ourselves that his goodness is not our comfort, but he is still good. And sometimes that healing takes, takes a different form than we would like, or that, that resolution, restoration takes a different form than we would like, or that rest takes a different form than we would like, but we trust that he is good to us, and therefore we trust that what he has for us is better than what we might desire ourselves. I might desire that somebody else be punished for what they did, and God says, no, I want to bring about restoration. And that's painful, but it's still better, and it's still good. And the other word in there is hesed, which is love. The idea that God's love pursues us. And this is a sacrificial love, an all-encompassing love. This is not like I love a cheeseburger kind of love. And there's a story by author Anne Lamott about her encounter with God's love that I think is a great example. And so I'm going to read a couple of sections from her first encounter with God's love And I want you to hear the pursuit in this story. 
For context, she, Anne has just gone on a bender. She has made some mistakes. She knows that what she has done was wrong, and she is trying to flee from God's grace and God's forgiveness. But she explains that God showed up in her life anyway, but like a cat. And I'm going to read from her. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love. And I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning, he was gone. But everywhere I went, I had the feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen. You let a cat in one time, give it a little milk, and it just stays. And the story goes on that she starts going to this church, but she shows up uh, late so that nobody would see her. She sits in the back for the worship and then left whenever the pastor got up to give his message. And one day she comes in as this is going on, and she is so hungover she can't get up and walk out when the pastor gets up and goes through his message. And that's where she picks up the story again. I began to cry and left before the benediction. And I raced home and felt the little cat running along at my heels. And I opened the door to my houseboat and I stood there a minute. And then I hung my head and I said, I quit. I took a long breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. And I love that image of the pursuit of God is not an aggressive pursuit. I love her imagery of a cat because if a cat starts following you around, you're not worried. I mean, if a house cat starts following you around, there's some other cats that maybe if they followed you around, you might get concerned. But a house cat, you're not worried, but it's there. And I love the image of, and, and the way she describes it, that if you let it in, it just stays. And isn't that how God's love is? That if we take the time to let God pursue us and we let him in, he just stays. Even though we might not always deserve it, even though we don't always deserve his tov and his hesed, his goodness and his love, it's always there. It's whether or not we are willing to open the door and let it in. And this is a famous psalm, Psalm 23, but let me encourage you again to hear in it these images of rest and restoration and trust. But that is who God is. That describes for us what God desires of our relationship with him. And that is why this psalm should be an encouragement to us, not only in times of struggle and pain and hurt, but also in times of joy and goodness and happiness. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we cannot read this psalm without our dwelling on our own good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says of himself in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And so as we enter into communion this morning, that is where our focus will shift to our good shepherd. And I appreciate Ed uh, sharing that by his stripes we are healed. 
As we talk about communion, as we enter into communion, it is by God's stripes that we find that true healing. And God heals us physically, and God heals us emotionally, and God heals us spiritually through his sacrifice on the cross. And sometimes we don't experience all of that healing this side of eternity, and sometimes we do, but God still heals by his stripes. And so I'm going to invite those who are serving this morning to come forward as we begin to serve for communion. And I'm going to read verse 5 again as our imagery moving into communion. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And let me remind us that whether you are coming to this table this morning from a place of suffering in a dark valley, from a place where you have felt the need of the shepherd's rod of defense, or maybe from a spot where you need the shepherd's staff. I want to encourage you that this communion table is where you should be. This is the table this morning in the presence of our enemies. And remember who else sits at the communion table with Christ at the Last Supper. So don't, do not think you are excluded because who else sat at the Last Supper with Jesus? Peter, who was about to deny him, and Judas, who was about to betray him. So come and sit at the table. And Thomas, who would doubt. The table of communion does not require us to be perfect, only forgiven. And so let me remind you again that our communion table here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church is open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. If you have put that trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please join us for communion this morning. If you have not, or if you feel like you are not in a spot where you are ready to take communion this morning, I would encourage you to let the elements pass, and there is no judgment here. And finally, please hold the elements, and we will partake of them together. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And Lord God, as we sit in your presence this morning, God, as we sit at your table, God, we thank you that you gave up yourself for us, that it is by your stripes we are healed. And so, Lord, this morning we thank you for your broken body, which was broken on our behalf. In your name, amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. And as we end communion this morning, let us say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be our name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For your thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Before we end this morning, just a couple of uh, reminders as we head into a new season in the church. This coming Sunday, next Sunday, is our fall kickoff. Uh, We are still looking for a couple of people to um, help set up, help grill, and help with cleanup. It's a big event. We are hoping uh, to have some people from our community come and join us. This is a great opportunity to share God's goodness and God's love with those around us. So if you know somebody who could, ex- need, uh, could benefit from experiencing that, I would encourage you to invite them to come next Sunday as well. And then uh, also just with Wednesday family night around the corner, we do have some new studies and new uh, things coming, including our gather to grow groups, which are opportunities for people to come in, to join together for a short period of time, to grow together in community around a given topic. So those are some opportunities as well for us to invite some people in so that they can experience uh, and learn to trust God. One other thing, as we do every Sunday when we take communion, we do take a benevolence offering, and that is in the back. Uh, This month, it is going to help offset our cost for Awana. We want our uh, people from our community and from our church to be able to send their kids to Awana free of charge. So our goal is to raise the $1,200 that it takes to buy the supplies for Awana uh, through our benevolence offering. If you did not come prepared to give this morning, you can do that online uh, and just select kids from the dropdown, uh, or, um, or you can do that anytime when you do your regular giving to the church. With that, I think that was all of them. We will end with our benediction this morning from 2 Peter chapter 3. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.